From WNYC, this is Money Talking. I'm Charlie Herman. This week, the Trump White House went on the road to Saudi Arabia, Israel, Italy, and then Belgium. Joining the president were his wife, Melania, daughter, Ivanka, and his son-in-law and close advisor, Jared Kushner. This might have been a good week for Kushner to be out of the country because back home, there were several stories examining his family's real estate business, including a critical report in The New York Times with ProPublica about his treatment of tenants and apartments the company owns in Baltimore. And then there was another one by two WNYC reporters about Kushner's business relationship with a development partner here in New York. Andrea Bernstein and Ilya Meritz reported that story, and they join me now. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So, Ilya, I was actually your editor on this story, but I, I want to go back a little bit and just have you remind me what it was that got you interested in this development partner and, and who they are. Right. So the company is called CIM Group. It's a private equity firm out of Los Angeles, and we actually got interested through Kushner's uh, father-in-law, Donald Trump. We'd been doing some research around the Trump Soho, which is a hotel condo project that Trump began in the mid-aughts, and it was mired in a lot of litigation and a lot of problems. And we learned that in 2010, a time when the building was threatened with foreclosure, this private equity firm, CIM, had swooped in and basically kind of saved the building. Now, we hadn't heard of CIM, so we got curious. We started to look into them, and what we learned is that they have done not one but seven deals with Donald Trump and the people in his world, including helping Jared Kushner to buy two major Brooklyn properties uh, just last year in 2016. And we also learned that there are things they may want from the government. For example, uh, they have tens of millions of dollars in government leases. They probably want to hang on to those and maybe even expand them. This is a company that's been really, really successful. They have $20 billion in assets under management, and we thought it's time to take a good look. So where does CIM get its money from? They're a private equity firm. They don't have to disclose. Um, It may include high net worth individuals, sovereign wealth funds. One thing is pretty clear, though, and that's that they've been phenomenally active and successful in courting public pension funds. Uh, Reuters actually tallied it up recently. It's seven states, California, New York, Texas, Arizona, Montana, Michigan, and Missouri with 5 million members. Uh, That's how CIM grew so big. So, Andrea, there's a really interesting side story that you found out about CIM and public pension money uh, that wasn't in our final story. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's a little convoluted, so so bear with me. So, first of all, the pension funds say, and they always say, we invest where we're going to get the best returns for our pension holders. But we're investigating the story, and I begin to poke around, and I begin to find out that there's been a series of stories in the Los Angeles Times from around 2009 in which they mention a man named Elliot Broidy. And he owned his own capital fund, but was also serving on the board of one of the Los Angeles pension funds. And at that time, he voted to put pension fund money in the CIM group, even though CIM had also invested in his personal fund. So I began to think, Wait, Elliot Broidy. Have I heard that name before? Four senior-level state officials who were effectively bribed by Mr. Broidy. So that familiar voice is, of course, Andrew Cuomo, now the governor, but then the attorney general in New York. And he'd been investigating whether New York state officials were being bribed. And he found out that, yes, indeed, Elliot Broidy had bribed officials of the New York state pension funds with things like trips to Italy and Israel and helicopter rides. The payoffs took different shapes and forms. For example, $300,000 was paid to the 
to finance the Leglisi family movie termed Chooch. Oh, my God, Chooch. I, I totally remember that movie. Uh, another reporter I'm friends with uh, got a copy of it and told me how terrible it was. You saw the movie. I just It just reminds me of bribery of state pension <laughs> fund officials. So so that was many years ago, what, about eight years ago. So what has happened to Brody since then? Well, I think it's important to note that in New York, he did plead guilty. Uh, he got no jail time. And in California, there were no charges resulting out of what happened there. He has since left the firm that he was at and went on to form his own uh, company. And he just, it was just announced just last month by the Republican National Committee that Brody was going to be one of three national deputy chairmen in charge of fundraising. He was also a big player in fundraising during the campaign and in the inaugural. Part of the reason we're bringing this up is that we sort of keep finding people like this while we're investigating Trump's business, people in the real estate community that may have committed a crime that somehow still have a connection to the president. But uh, is that that surprising in a way to find that the real estate world, the finance world, I mean, they're not as big as we may think they are. There are a lot of overlaps that happen. So is that that surprising? Right. And that is true. These worlds are going to be connected. But what we kept being told by ethics experts when we were researching the CIM story is this is the problem. Because the president and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, have not given up ownership of their companies, these connections, these conflicts are going to continue to be a subject of interest. So, Ilya, getting back to Jared Kushner, this week the Washington Post reported that he is retaining 90% of his business. The New York Times Magazine, along with ProPublica, did this expose I mentioned about the way they run their low-income family business. Uh, what are we learning about him? It's funny. Uh, Kushner doesn't do a lot of public speaking, and you can sort of project whatever you want onto him. What what I found this week is the more you learn, the more you want to know. So, for example, the Washington Post story uh, showed that Kushner has so far held on to 90% of his business holdings. But a lot of that stuff is in LLCs and shell companies where it's actually impossible to say what what it is that he's holding on to. The New York Times Magazine story is even more illuminating. We sort of know Jared Kushner as sort of a striver and somebody who wants to be really active building in the center of Manhattan. Uh, But the reporter Alec McGillis looks at the other side of the Kushner family business, which is basically running these huge low-income housing estates around Baltimore and some other cities. Uh, And they show that as a moneymaker for the Kushner family business and in some ways a very mean-spirited one where they're garnishing people's wages and going after their social security security and such just to make an extra buck. Often it's quite small sums of money. But I would say we're still just scratching the surface of who is Jared Kushner, what is the Kushner family business, and what does it mean to have someone with all these active business holdings in the White House? Well, you can find links to all these stories, including Andrea and Ilya's at our website, WNYC.org. Ilya Meritz and Andrea Bernstein with WNYC. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. And I'm Charlie Herman, and this is Money Talking from WNYC. WNYC.